Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter of 1 John chapter 4, which is all the verses 1 through 21. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test to see, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them, for the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Author of life, we thank you for your word. And we ask that your spirit would be upon us this morning to transform us in heart and mind and soul. Amen. So we're continuing again this morning our look at the letter of 1 John. And this week we're following up specifically on the conversation that we began last week. So just to refresh us on where we were at last week, we begin... We began talking about how the whole message of the gospel boils down to two things, loving God and loving neighbor. Last week, we looked at what it means for us to love our neighbor, which again, basically came down to two things. If we sin against our neighbor in our hearts, then it is as though we actually committed a wrong against them in the flesh. But if we have love for our neighbor in our hearts, then we have to actually demonstrate that by acting in truth and action. It's a little bit of a double standard, but the scriptures and the ancient teachings of the church affirm that to be the case. Now this week, we're going to look at how our love lived out in truth and action connects to our love for God. There is a little section in today's reading that returns to the idea of Antichrist, something that we talked about a couple weeks ago, and I don't want to dwell on that too much, but it is worth noting how that ties in to the whole argument that this letter is making. The Antichrists are the people in the community who deny that Jesus was really both fully human and fully divine. And if you want to brush up on that, you can go back and listen to my full explanation of it from the sermon just a couple weeks ago. But the point that is salient for this part of the letter is that Jesus being both spiritual and of the flesh is essential for our salvation. His redeeming work finds power and meaning in the combination of those two natures existing fully alongside and within his one person. So our work of salvation and our work of love also has to be spiritual and fleshy in unity with one another as well. In other words, if we say we have a love in our hearts that's only spiritual, then we've divorced it from the fleshy parts of ourselves and our world that are being transformed by God. Like I said, I don't want us to get too wrapped up in that one part of today's reading, but I do think it's important for us to see how all of this fits together. What I do want us to focus on is the bulk of this chapter from verses 7 to 21 that talk about what it means for God to be love and for us to abide in that love. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is another one of those examples in this letter where the principle that is laid out sounds really easy in theory, but doesn't turn out to be so easy in practice. If you love, then you are of God. If you don't love, then you don't know God. And the reason that the author gives is this. God first loved us and sent his son as a gift to be sacrificed for our sins. 
So in response, we ought to show our gratitude for that gift by loving in the same way that God loved us. And before we go further, we should pause and get into some questions about sin and atonement to understand exactly what is being said in that little bit of space. If you think back to the story of creation at the beginning of Genesis, you will recall God making all of creation and declaring all of it good. You will also recall God living in close proximity with the first humans, establishing only two rules about which trees they cannot eat from. The humans, of course, rebel and do what God did not want them to do, and then try to lie to God to cover up their wrongdoing. The truth of this story isn't about a literal event, but about our human nature. Each and every one of us enters into the world with nothing other than that newborn, newly created potential in front of us. But inevitably, because we live in a fallen world, because we do not yet live in the kingdom, we will do something to rebel against God. To put it in more plain English, it's inevitable that we will disappoint God by causing harm to the world and others around us. Now, God still loves us through all of it, but does want us to be held accountable in some way. As a gift of God's love, he sends his son to be a model for us for what true humanity looks like when perfectly obedient to God's love and as a sacrifice to reveal and account for the sin of our whole species. Just to be clear, exactly how that sacrifice works is a holy mystery, and we have a whole number of metaphors that we use to try and make sense of it. But what matters is that God's love for us extends to the point of God dying on the cross on our behalf. And it's important for us to see that everything that I just said is at work in that one sentence, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sends his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And it's important for us to see that in order for us to understand that whatever love we express is a response to a love that was first shown to us. Carol asked me a good question last week after the sermon about just what I meant when I was talking about sanctification being connected to our loving in action. Because it can sometimes sound like we're talking about some kind of works righteousness. If we're not precise with how we talk about these things, it can sound like it's our actions that makes us more holy. But what I mean to say is this. Our loving action helps to make us more holy because it is a response to the Spirit working in us and through us. When we live out our faith by love in truth and action, we are allowing ourselves to be conformed to the will of God. We will pray a bit later in preparation for communion to be freed for joyful obedience. 
And this is what I mean when I say that our loving actions contribute to our sanctification, that in our obedience to God, we are able to joyfully walk in the light, cleansed of our sins. Or as we read this morning, God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. In loving, in truth, and action, we are placing ourselves into God's being, and God is placing their being into us. As we read on, we see that when we abide in God in this way, we are emboldened on the day of judgment because we will have existed in this world just as God existed in this world. Many moments of conversion or awakening or whatever you might want to call that first moment of response to the working of the Spirit, are prompted by a conviction that one has done wrong in the world. There's a moment of realization that we have not been living in the way that God wants us to live. Again, we can look to the prayer of confession that we'll say a bit later, where we admit that we have not done God's will, We have broken the law of love. We have rebelled against that love. We haven't shown that love to our neighbors. We haven't heard the cries of the needy. And so there is in that first moment of awakening a fear of what will happen to us as a result. Will we be shown the same lack of mercy that we showed to others? Will God choose not to hear us in our moments of need? But as we abide in God, and as we come to understand the love that God has for us, those fears start to subside. We realize that God doesn't want to punish us. God is looking to forgive us. God wants to lead us in the paths of righteousness. God wants to share love with us. And the more time that we spend in love, the more time that we abide in God and God abides in us, the further that those fears are banished from our hearts and mind. Then, the further that those fears are banished from our hearts and mind, the more that we are emboldened to love in truth and action. When we abide in the love of God, we start to realize that there is nothing the world can bring against us that is worse than being separated from the love of God. We realize that there's no punishment greater than the one that we inflict on ourselves when we choose not to abide in God's perfect love. Once we abide in the love of God, we enter into a cycle that keeps pushing us further and further into the depths of that love toward perfection. Before I wrap up this morning, I want to address the other point raised in today's reading. How do we show God that we love God? We love our brothers and sisters. Verse 20 of this chapter is, in my opinion, one of the most direct and challenging verses that I've read in Scripture. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It harkens back to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 25 that 
what we do to the least of those among us, we will have done to him. It also calls to mind one of my favorite parables, that of Lazarus and the rich man found in chapter 16 of Luke. In this parable, there's a poor man named Lazarus who begged for scraps from the rich man's table. Now the poor man dies and is carried to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man dies and is carried into Hades. From Hades, the rich man looks up from his torment and begs Abraham to send Lazarus with some water for him. The rich man is then reminded of his own wealth in life and Lazarus's poverty. So then, the rich man asks if Abraham would at least send Lazarus to the house of his father to warn his five brothers to change their ways. It's almost a Dickensian solution to the problem. The rich man can't save himself, but maybe a spirit from beyond can save his brothers. And then, Abraham says, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. It's easy for us to say that we love God, as long as God remains a transcendent being somewhere off in the heavens. As long as God is an invisible, ethereal being that we don't really have to do anything for, then what's to stop us from saying how much we love God until we are blue in the face? But what if God is suddenly in front of us, asking for some money so that they can get the medicine that they need? What if God is in front of us asking for some clothing to keep them safe from the elements? What if God shows up on our doorstep looking for just enough money to fill up their gas tank? What if God just needs us to sit down and listen to what they've been going through just to know that someone in the world cares about them? What if God is sitting in a jail cell wasting away for something that maybe they did or didn't do what seems like a whole lifetime ago? and needs someone to hear the truth of the matter, or needs someone to forgive them of something that they've repented of. It's easy to say those who love are born of God and know God, as long as it remains an abstract theory. But when we start getting down to the nitty-gritty and the messiness of life, it becomes a whole different challenge. So may we abide in the love of God when loving gets tough. May we have all of our fears cast out so that we can love because he first loved us. May we practice that true religion of gratitude toward God and benevolence toward one another. Amen. Would you please pray with me? God, your love for us knows no bounds. Let us abide in you so that we might become channels of that boundless love for everyone around us. 
Let us demonstrate the love that we have for you by passing on your love to all our brothers and sisters, knowing that it isn't our job to say who's worthy of love or who isn't, because you already made the decision that everyone is worthy of love. Lord, make us bold in our witness to your truth and your love. Amen.